0: All right, guys, welcome back to Surviving Hollywood. I'm Johnny Ray Diaz.
1: I'm Aaron Arnold. My name is Austin Arnold.
0: And today we had on the pod a uh, fantastic actor and producer, Lewis Hertham. Uh, I would say mostly recognizable from his, wor- his role on Westworld. Um, he's also been on other shows like True Bloods. Um, I worked with him on All Rise. Um, he had been on like every TV show you can think of, going all the way back to uh, Murder, She Wrote. So um, just a wealth of information and knowledge. And um, I had a lot of fun working with him on the show. We connected, and then he came on the pod.
1: I loved, uh, I mean, super down to earth. It surprised me that the majority, or it didn't surprise me, but the majority of the first half of this podcast was all about filmmaking, which I loved because we're trying to produce our own stuff, but I thought it was really interesting to sort of hear, he spent years taking a break from acting to produce and then how that helped him in his career or what he learned. And then obviously coming back and booking Westworld. So filmmakers out there look forward to this. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I know him through True Blood, uh, most of all, you know, season five, he played one of the werewolves, one of the lead werewolves. You know, just enjoyed talking to him. He's a wealth of knowledge. I think you're really going to enjoy this. It's as if you're talking to a very experienced actor, which that's what it was.
0: Yeah. And I I think it was, it was cool. him talking about how, you know, at one point he knew he was going to get that one role that would change his career, even as long as he'd been in the business and how Westworld was the one. And now his career is forever changed and hopefully going forward and uh yeah i think you guys will really enjoy the conversation so here it goes
2: Audi, Audi, what do you call Audi book, uh, audible, audio book. And yeah, that's a trip. And, uh, yeah. So hearing myself without seeing myself is, is different than seeing myself and hearing myself. At least Who did you uh,
0: do that audio book for? Cause I, I just got into audio books this year, like reading, narrating for them too. And you it's definitely. Right
2: there? It's a, it's, you can't really see it. It's a, uh, finalist, uh, for, we got, uh, best, Audi, Audi, audible book for uh, memoir or autobiography. Mm-hmm. For, it's called Mr. New Orleans, and okay, the awards are on uh, the twenty second. So
0: nice, man! Congrats! Yeah. Cool.
2: Thanks, dude. Yeah. That's you, that's Mr. Cool Mr. New thing. Orleans. Yeah. Well, born and raised. Well, Baton Rouge, you know, close oh. by. Okay, hundred, you know, or an hour drive away. For sure.
0: So maybe you can kind of talk to, as we kind of slowly just kind of dive in, maybe you kind of talk a little bit about that. I know obviously you're in LA now, um, but can you kind of maybe tell us a little bit about your transition to LA and were you doing any acting in Louisiana before?
2: Yeah. I, um, I mean, the, the truncated story of my whole path, uh, you know, path and my journey is uh, in 1968, my dad took me to see a film called Bullet with Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Yeah. Uh, there's a chasing in that film that's truly one of the best to this day, chasings in, in film history, in my, in my opinion, still the best. And uh, I walked out of the theater and told my dad, that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. And uh, he said, well, you want to be in movies? I said, I want to drive cars like that in movies. So my goal was to be a stuntman, really. So I wanted to be a stuntman uh, right up, all through high school, a little bit of college that I went to, and then I sort of fell into doing TV commercials and modeling, believe it or not, print modeling stuff in my hometown, and that led to having an agent, and the agent, uh, who is still a dear friend of mine, put a a play in my hand, The Rainmaker, by N. Richard Nash, and, you know, persuaded me to go read for the play at the Little Theater. Uh, It was the biggest play, and She, she knew I had started to get some, you know, some interest in acting as well. But so I did, I went and read for one of the minor roles and I, and I got the lead and it changed, changed my life is when I went, okay, this, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I stayed there for about another year, did uh, Oklahoma, played Will Parker in Oklahoma at a dinner theater. I played Kanicki in Greece, and then I moved out here in uh, January of 1982, I did the. I kind of just got my feet like I went. I came from a town of about quarter million people that I grew up in, and you just not. I mean, you know, you you couldn't go anywhere without knowing people.
0: You know, not knowing somebody, yeah,
2: yeah. And and to a place where uh, millions of people where I knew two, you know, I knew <laughs> my roommate and another. Well, his another guy with his family out in Monrovia, so. uh you know after a couple of years just working and trying to get get a feel for the city i joined a theater company uh out in north hollywood bonnie chapman's group repertory theater did a ton of theater um you know got j- odd jobs every now and then uh in the late 80s i started doing some national commercials and started making a living as an actor and then and doing some co-starring and uh, occasional guest star role in the late 80s and then uh, including Murder, She Wrote. And then in 1991, I was asked to uh, join the cast. Um, great dog, by the way. Back there. Yeah, he's a,
0: he's, yeah, he's making
2: noise, sorry. No, I he's, 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 <laughs> um, I was asked to join the cast and I did the last five seasons of that show as a recurring regular. And um, then after that, I got the wild hair up my ass to produce so I started producing films. so for the next 10 years I produced five narrative features one documentary feature and one short film and and then uh went back to Louisiana to help my sister take care of my mom when her health started failing in the beginning of 90 of uh, 2006 and uh um, was there till after my mom passed came back here in 2010 and and then you know I tried to produce a few things. I had several projects, but you guys know since this is about production everything. Yeah. And so before
0: there. we before we dive into the whole producing stuff that you that yeah. you went into, I'm I'm really curious about uh, you know, when you first started acting here in L.A., especially during the '80s, um, how was the industry like then compared to it how it is now? And I also feel like you know, Murder She Wrote was a big show, right? I mean, especially mm-hmm. for that time
2: always in the top, it was in the top 10 for 10 of the 12 years it was on the, on the air. Yeah. The, so it wasn't in the top 10, the other two because it was the first season and the last season, the last season, they moved them from Saturday night to Thursday night against Seinfeld, you know, oof.
0: that's
2: a, t- as a big Seinfeld fan, that's a tough, you know, shoot. Yeah. Well, plus the, de- the demographic, the demographic was yeah. right for Sunday night. It wasn't so right for prime, you know, for right. all that. Thursday night but anyway go ahead
0: so how was that industry like in the 80s compared to how you feel like it is now how was it more difficult was it a little easier
2: I you know I mean it's hard for me to say just because it's easier for me now because I've established myself and and uh but I don't think I'd want to be I think if I had a choice of when to be starting it's a really a toss-up because there's so many more opportunities really I mean there's so many more shows being done with all the streaming stuff um but but really i i think it is harder now um there's so many more restrictions and uh, on the, the way people cast and and so forth and um the you know harder to it, it was always been hard to get an agent a good agent you know um but the by the same token, back then, like on Murder She Wrote, I did. I played three different roles on Murder She Wrote. I played a role in in the beginning in the end of season. I think six. No, season five at the end of season five, and then they came call me back to play another role beginning of season six, and then and in season eight, I came back and played the role that I played for five years. So they used to do that all the time. They'd rehire mm-hmm. actors and. And pay them very well. You know, a lot of these established actors that, that Murder, she wrote, was known for having. I mean, I think these guys are getting 15, 25 grand, you know, per, per episode or? Yeah, for guest stars. Damn. Damn.
0: I think yeah. I almost feel like back in the day, you could actually make a living just doing guest spots, right? And now it seems like it's just so much
2: more difficult. Without, without question. Without yeah. question. I made a living doing, you know, my five episodes a season. Mm. And, you know, back then, if, if you were a series regular, I mean, you could afford to buy a house in the Valley. And so, and if you were uh, a series regular more than, you know, two years or so, you, you were buying a house in Santa Monica, you know. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the wages have not kept up with the, with the cost of living and certainly not the cost of housing. Um, you know, that's a whole different. <laughs> yeah. Talk, you no, know, talking about.
0: Yeah, um, how's how, how that's kind of evolved? But I, I can I can I can only imagine that you you know working on that show for so long, it is it's interesting. That I didn't know that they sort of recycled actors. It is yeah. is part of that because there wasn't that many actors to begin with, or was it just something no, that they just was normal? No,
2: God, no. There's never been a shortage of actors. Ever. Okay, it's it's always been. It was always like, you know, if they can if they did a great job and and if the producers and directors liked working with them, they had them back. Mm. I mean, let's face it. That's what we do, right? We play different characters, right. and they had no—they had no problem with that. They—they—they they, they loved working with some of the same people. In fact, and I'm—and it made casting easier. Um, and uh, and obviously, I mean, you know, these days, I mean, what does a good top show bring in? You know, uh, viewership wise. I mean, if you get five or six million, that's, that's a good, that's a good show. We got 18 to 20 million people every Sunday night. Yeah. You know, that's now there a were lot. Lot fewer shows to watch, but they, but um, they, they, you know, they watched it every Sunday night and CBS owned Sunday night, you had murder, she wrote, then no, you had 60 minutes murder, she wrote, and then they would always stay around for this, the Sunday night movie. Mm. So, so they owned Sunday night, um, but yeah, yeah, they had no problem bringing actors back. Uh, you know, they had no problem hiring new actors too, for usually smaller parts or younger parts. Most of the actors that we're talking about were seasoned actors that had been around a while. So they were older mm. and, and the demographic of the show was older too. So they wanted to give, I, I think they wanted to give people, you know, recognizable actors who they'd, right. who they'd be
0: and did you uh did you find that things changed for you after working on Murder, she, Murder, she wrote in terms of career wise like doors started opening
1: more and things like that? The struggle is over now people
2: aren't here. <laughs> Well, the truth is is that uh, I didn't give it much of a chance because I immediately uh wanted to sort of try to make my own way by uh, getting um You know start start producing and uh so for the 10 years after from 96 to nine years or so 96 to 2005 um, i really did not pursue acting like through my agent or i did a few jobs usually as people that called me that knew me or call my agent and i really was concentrating on producing and so i didn't really give that a chance uh, I think about that a lot. I, I wish I had of, um, cause I have like 27, I think this year will make the 27th, uh, pension year, pension credit year for screen actors, Guild. Yeah. And had I at least just like tried to do a little bit of work. No, I worked no. in my own, I worked in my own movies, of course, but I, I wasn't, uh, yeah, and if there are any actors out there, always be aware of your pension, your SAG pension, and your pension credits. I mean, you really should be aware of that because if you're building a career, that's a big part of mm. what the union does for you.
0: Yeah, so when you, those those times that you were producing your own films, were, were you making those SAG films? And were they still oh, yeah. getting, kind of getting pension credits for that or not really?
2: Um, I All of my films, all of my narrative films were all five of them were SAG franchise films and then I did a documentary which didn't need to be SAG uh, franchise and then I did a short and <clears throat> the short um it was it was for one of these uh what do you call it uh, uh, 48 hour film festival oh yeah
0: yeah, it was yeah
2: great I'm so proud of that little movie I mean it is such a great a great little movie we 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 actually did it in 36 hours first mm. 12 hours we it was in new orleans the first 12 hours we hung out in restaurants and ate and drank and came up with the story <laughs> and, then, and then did it
1: yeah, it great yeah i thought it was a lot of fun were there like um you know you know taking a break from acting and going into producing were there like a certain stories you wanted to be told or what was the catalyst that made you go man i just want to like make my own stuff
2: yeah well i the catalyst i think was the thought of going back into you know auditioning and auditioning and auditioning i did go into some auditions there were some very young people and they weren't really that well acquainted with murder she wrote because the demographic of the show was much older and there was a couple of times where i just went you know what i, I just got to do this myself and then I had sort of an epiphany and this idea for a film came into my head and I couldn't shake it. And so I, you know, I pursued it. Budget for the film was 550,000. I went to my hometown. Um, You know, people had followed my career, so they knew who I was there. And. uh, um,
1: What's the log line for the film? I'm sorry. What's uh, the log line for the film or what was it about?
2: Uh, It was sort of a modern day prodigal son. Uh, The, you know, the, based on that, that parable or prodigal of the parable of the prodigal son. And it just sort of um, a dear friend of mine at the time, who's, uh, I don't know, he's nine or so years younger than me. Uh, terrific actor named Brad Hunt. Uh, you know, I just had this idea of, uh, uh, of, of, of the two of us playing brothers, and, you know, just sort of loosely kind of basing it on that, that parable very much a modern day version because so anyway that that was kind of the log line you know it was it had a it it was pretty edgy and then it had some the end it was a sort of a tearjerker thing that happened in in a church and so distributors you know were like I don't know how to sell this and in retrospect I I get that at the time I I didn't really Uh, but of course I made this film in 96 and I don't know. You guys are, you know, how old you were? I was six. You were six. I was was 10. You were 10. You were six. Austin. Also six. Aaron and I are twins. Oh, y'all are twins. Oh yeah. Now I see it. I'll be damned. (laughs) Identical twins. Uh, Hell yeah. How observant I am. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, the, Brothers McMullen came out, I think in 95 and sort of started this craze about independent film. And then sling blade came out in 96 and which was still to this day, one of my favorite films. Uh, I instinct classic masterpiece in my opinion. Mm. Um, and so, so like the, I, in 95, I think there were like a couple of hundred, I, I could have this wrong. going based on my memory, but there were very few films, uh, you know, submitted to Sundance in in all categories, a couple of hundred, maybe something like that. The next year when I submitted, there were 1200 and then it just started growing from there.
1: Mm.
2: And if I think if I'd have made my film a few years earlier, I, we would have sold it, would have gone to all territories and everything because it was a great little American film. But once the craze started happening, first thing that I was asked was who's in it, who's in it, you know, and it was some working actors, but no stars. I and mean, we had no stars in it. And I didn't want stars in it because I really thought still that I could sell a good film. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and then I, and then really the, the other, most of the other films I was asked to join as a producer, as a producer who would also help raise the money. So because I had done it, you know, and people knew.
0: So maybe you can kind of walk us through this because we have a lot of filmmakers and, and the audience as well that listen. Um, this was the first film you produced then. Um, did you kind of sort of figure things out sort of trial and error or was it somebody that was kind of helping you along the way? How did you find funding, things like that?
2: Well, pretty much 100 uh, percent trial and error. And I, I think the best way to become a filmmaker is to make a film. Just, you know, school, I'm sure it's great, but if you go to school and you spend, you know, depending on the school, hundreds, hundred, tens, hundreds of thousands, you know, uh, make a damn film because you'll learn it and you won't forget it. Now I say you won't forget it. That, that's not necessarily true because I was learning so much. I'm sure that there were certain things that I forgot because it was so overloaded. But when you're on a mission and I was on a mission, you know, I was going to get this done one way or the other. And like I was about to say, I went back to my hometown. I started doing the morning shows. I did the press. I said, I'm here to make a movie. And they're, oh, Lewis Hertham's back in town. He's going to make a movie here. So then when I called him up and said, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch and tell you about my movie. Maybe you'd like to you know, join us and invest. And uh, so that's how I did it. Um, but there was a uh, there were a few people there that had some more knowledge than me, for sure. And they helped me along the way. And and, and then other people, uh, I'd, I'd go get to a certain point and I wasn't quite sure. I'd just call and say, what do I do now? And then, you know, he'd tell me and I'd do it. Um, and, you know, that that's a great way. To, I mean, it's trial by fire. Yeah. And definitely I made mistakes. Uh, but
0: you... What, what do you feel like was the, one of the biggest mistakes you made or something that you really learned from?
2: Hmm... Well, uh, let me see if I can be diplomatic about this in case somebody. somebody you hated the actors. I'm just kidding. again? No, I had nothing. None of the, the actors were fantastic. The actors okay. were all my friends. <laughs> you know, in fact, with mo- all of my movies, I had hardly any casting sessions. I mean, I've known so many. Yeah. Actors. Like, yeah, you know, so-and-so can do this. Oh, they'd be great. Right. That's the way to do it. want to do this? That's how that worked for me. But, um, well... I think, you, you you know, let me put it this way. People ask me frequently, what makes a good producer? How, how, how do you become a good producer, uh, especially for an independent film? And I'm like, hey man, the best producers pick the right people. If you pick the right people, your job will be so much easier. If you pick the wrong people, You know, even people, I mean, it's hard to vet them sometimes because you think they're on on the same wavelength and then at some point there's a turn. So I've experienced that. Let me say, let me just say that. And so just be really, really, really careful about the people you get into something that is as, uh, that that could be as long lasting and as um, important and costly, if you will, you know, because, you know, if you, if you have to, if you go through all your money in there, like for me, uh, we raised a little bit more, but I mean, there, there needed to be more and it came out of my pocket mm-hmm. and I never got that back. Um, putting your own money into films is very tricky, as I'm sure many of your filmmakers listening w- will know. Uh, but I think, uh, just, you know, so as far as lessons learned that learned that that's uh, one of them, you know, be really, really careful about who you work with. Uh, I think I learned, I didn't really learn on my first film, but I've learned on other films that, that I, that I was hired to, to produce and help produce. Is that, you know, instead of. You know, I'm I'm like on this film. So, okay, what's your what do your grip and electric look like? Oh, well, we got you know we got six guys grips and we got six electricians, you know, and they're going to work for a hundred a day. And I'm like, you know, where what kind of do
0: we need all these people
2: or what what kind of experience they have? Oh, well, you know, this guy, you know, he used to light at the and I'm not disparaging these people. You those people need to get jobs and work, but if you're on a budget and and a strict budget especially if your days you know because it's all about days man it's all about days you know that's what's gold the more days you can have the better but days are expensive and that's why people try to get the you know so i say get you know don't hire six guys hire three guys for 200 that have more experience or hell even two guys two grips two electricians for 300 a day that have a lot of experience, they will keep you on time and on budget, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's a trap I think a lot of first time and young filmmakers fall into they think they have to pay find somebody to work real cheap because they don't have a lot of money. Find somebody that you can work and like when I was in Louisiana, because you know, the union, they want to play, you know, and I and I hear that I and, and I'm all for it. I'm a big union guy. So I would just go to the head of the the union there and say, look, this is what I got. Will you let me negotiate the terms with the individuals and then I'll pay their pension and health. And usually you can, you know, they're good with that. As long as you're taking care of them and paying their pension and health benefits, uh, usually you're good. And then if you can find people to work for what you can afford, uh, you're golden. And quite frankly, I mean, I've worked with a lot of the same people uh, because you know, I I treated people right. I always treated people right. We have fun when we make movies. If if you're not having fun, it ain't worth it. Y'all know yeah. it's just too yeah. Yeah. hard. Yeah, I mean, too, too many long hours. It's just too hard. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a war. You know, so I, somebody described it, filmmaking to me that way a long time ago when I first started. He said it's a war, and you're gonna have battles every day if you're doing a movie with this budget. And like the, my, one of my favorite movies of, of all of the movies I've made, our budget, we got the damn movie in the can for $55,000. It's full-length feature. Dark, edgy oh. feature we made in Paris, Texas. Out mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we, we got in the can for 55000 I think our total, it was like $140,000. And it's, and it's a great little film. But everybody was working for next to nothing because we wanted to. Yeah. You know, we, we just all said, yeah, this is going to be fun. Let's make this movie. Nobody really got paid anything, you know? We just- so ter- and- Go ahead.
1: Go well, ahead. and was the goal when they brought you on as producer to put, put, to put these into film festivals or to get those sold?
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, you mean for, for me to do that? Uh, or, no, no. I just oh. mean
1: that uh, when you make it and you finish, you know, picture locked with that budget, yeah. then it goes to the festivals.
2: Yeah. That, that that was the whole, um, you know, usually that, you know, we we're going to make it and then we we're going to try to go to festivals and get some attention and then obviously sell it. You know, you, every filmmaker that makes a film believes they have a film that's, you know, saleable and that can, you know, when festivals and stuff, one of the mistakes, you talked about mistakes, Johnny, one mistake that I made, especially with my first film was entering all the big festivals and then having to endure the constant rejections
0: Mm.
2: instead of entering small festivals as well, where I know my film would have done well. No question in my mind. So
0: you only targeted the
2: larger ones, yeah. Because you know yeah. you think big and everything like
0: Sundance, that. Tribeca, all these. Yeah. Oh yeah,
2: the Sundance, Slam Dance, Tribeca. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you name it. We we did. I mean, we were. We thought we had you know a masterpiece. Is as we all as we all do. As we <laughs> all do. So,
1: so, place to see that so film today. Say again. Is there a place that uh, our audience could view that feature film today?
2: No, there is not. Um, and one of the now, there there's I don't even know. I, I mean, one the film that I was telling you about that that I uh really really liked that we made for so little money is called Red Ridge, and it and it I, I mean, it's been pirated. I've I think you could probably go to Amazon and find it right now as much as I've tried to keep that from happening. I mean, how, how can you do it? The first film I made is called Favorite Son and it sold in some territories. I got distributors, but we sold it in territories overseas. but And I four-walled it in a theater in, in Louisiana. Did really well there. Uh, but uh, I actually have been thinking about it's a story you could do this with i've been thinking about i've been thinking about it for a while but uh taking the old footage which was done in 96 and creating a story which i've already done and shooting modern day and then using that old footage as flashback so you have Mm. the same actors 25 years older Mm. or younger and the place, I know the, the, the main home that was my home in the film where most of the film was shot, my character's home. He still lives there and he's put a pond in and the two oak trees in the front yard were very small. They're big, huge trees now. He's put a horse corral. So the... I mean, the production value is kind of insane. People are like, how in the fuck did you do that? <laughs> you know, how much did you spend to make that thing? And who's your makeup artist? Holy crap. <laughs> you know, how'd they all, you know.
1: That'd be cool. it would be a pretty, pretty good cool. idea.
2: Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's a so, good idea. I want that one. Yeah. So, you know, I I uh, just got to have the time to devote to, to, to do something. So,
0: like yeah, that. to do it like that. Well, you're too busy working. You know what I mean? And blast wow. Um, I was going to just touch on that because you didn't mention it. Um, I'm not that familiar with this world and, you know, we ourselves have produced some shorts and we're actually trying to make a feature this year. That's hopefully the goal. Right. Um, But uh, the world I'm not familiar with, and maybe you can kind of touch on it is distribution. What have you kind of learned in the distribution channels? What's the best way to kind of approach things? Um, If you want to kind of touch on
2: that. Yeah. I, Again, um, what it's like now, I'm not really sure. What it was like then, um, robbery. pretty much just take what, everything, yeah. The, the worst thing you can hear back then, a distributor say to you, is we love your film, we want to handle it, and we're going to give you a $100,000 advance. Now, if you had 100000 in the film, that was good news. Mm-hmm if you had 200 300 4 5 500 million there's horrible news because that's the last money you're going to see out of those guys. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. I mean that happened to, we I did a film in 99 here in LA uh, had a lot of decent you know Brad Durf, Michael Madsen, uh, Michael Paul Chang, James Hong. We had yes. you know it was a, it was a straight up action film all the Power Rangers the the actual stunt people yeah. that were, were in the suits that did the were, were were our stunt people our stunts were incredible i mean right. i could barely watch some of the stuff they were doing it was insane and you know we we took two we did it for a half a million and a half a million deferred and we
0: what does a half a million and a half million deferred mean we example? had
2: a half a million in cash Okay. And we deferred, so we deferred half of the payments of, you know, mostly to like our, our guy that, that shot the film, the DP, he also had all the equipment. Okay. He had everything. So we couldn't meet his, his price. So it was deferred
0: basically for, so we
2: def- like we paid him his fee for DP but we deferred the, the, the money for the, for the, you know, that, that kind of things. So I frankly did not put those deals together. I was kind of brought in to help. I'm good at organizing and also for uh, cast to help uh, cast it. So, and they, you know, they just knew I had experience. So um, we, we I think we ended up, I think the budget with the deferments was about 1.1 million as, as I recall. And the the people that, you know, brought me in took, two minutes of dailies and just dailies just rough dailies and uh showed regent entertainment and they said uh we want it and we'll give you a hundred thousand dollar advance well we never we never saw any more money uh the head of the I don't know who it is now. I don't even know if they're still around. I don't know what the deal is, but they, you know, he said, we'll do three or four, three to $4 million in sales in this film. And uh, I'm like, yeah, you should, you know, this is a great little action film. It's, it's an AFM dream, right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what it was. That kind of film <clears throat> had just enough names. You could sell it in every territory throughout the world. And you'd end up with three to $4 million in sales. They take their 20%, you know, we, you know, and their expenses.
0: Is that a typical rate for a distributor? Like 20%? Uh
2: yeah, I think it was back then. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, again, I'm not quite sure what it is now, yeah. What to expect now. Yeah. But um, you know, we, we never saw a penny. Uh I had to fight to get residuals for my actors because I had brought almost the whole cast in, which I did and and won. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen that film, it was called the ghost and I've seen that film with different names. Again, the, the, uh, the rights ran out after 10 years, I got the rights back, but I don't know, but I wasn't part of the LLC. So I really, I didn't have rights to, and I had like nine points in the damn film. I really thought we were going to make a little money. And, uh, so I have no idea where that film is. It wasn't in my uh, power to really do anything about it. I just had to sort of grin and bear it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but as far as that, I mean, I did create a website. I don't know if it'd still be viable, but I created a website because of my frustration with distributors. Uh, you know what Angie's List is? Yeah. You know, where you yeah. rate, you know, carpenters and mechanics yeah. and doctors and all that kind of stuff i created something called autos list and it was where filmmakers could rate the performance of their distributors mm. and uh i built it and, is it still uh,
0: up is that still around or
2: uh it's it's i have it it's not actually up uh, okay. because it was attached to another site i had which uh, i i ended up shutting down it was just sort of in the back door of that other site but again, it's like um, it's it's a it's a I, I'd have to do more research on you know what what people are doing now. I don't really know. I mean, there's so many of these yeah. streaming. I, I got a buddy. I just I, he he called me every time he does a film. He calls me to take a look at it, and I did night Before last, and it's just beautiful. He shot it in Scotland and, and with a very small budget, but using all British and Scottish actors and the scenery. It's just beautiful and i said brother you got to get this in front of you know everybody uh producers directors uh agents um you know uh the the streaming companies because it really is beautiful but i don't really know if that's the 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 best way to go about it now i just honestly don't i wish i could give you more information about that
0: no, just just totally so, so curious about it because even as we kind of dive into that world, I'm not familiar with it really at all, yeah. um, and it seems like it's constantly evolving with the streaming, the Amazon, Netflix, all that stuff, licensing, and all it kind does. of changes. Um, but anyway, that that thank you for for talking about that um, to sort of transition now into um, what you've been up to recently. I know Westworld is like was a big thing for you. Um, maybe talk, yeah Huge tell fan. us about the maybe the casting process Same how way. you got the role how it kind of evolved
2: yeah that was big it was big for, for me uh obviously um i remember very well the the original film and had seen it many times was a big fan of the original film kind of freaked me out when it first came out because it was so far ahead of its time you know mm and uh came out in 73 so i was 15 and um so my agent called me one day he says hey man i got this audition for you for westworld and i went westworld i said they're doing a remake of the movie he goes no it's a tv series i said based on the the movie he goes yeah i'm like far out so you know i was sent the sides for a specific role and then there was this other side these other sides that every at least male actor was going to perform this particular scene which is basically the scene that i do with anthony hopkins at the end of the pilot the characters were completely different the dialogue was completely different but what it was 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 dr ford taking a host through you know, the same kind of analysis where he was going in and out of different characters. And like I say, the characters were completely different, it had nothing to do with the story of Westworld or anything. It was written just for the audition. So I uh I, you know, just really excited about it and went in and I didn't know because like if if you've seen the, the original movie, it is, you know, the 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 ro- the robots or the hosts are you know, you can tell their host. There's a, there's a little hesitation in them and a little bit of you know yeah vacuous you know so so I wasn't really sure so I I went in I played the the character that I did not I never read for Peter Abernathy I didn't even know who he was I read for a different character and excuse me and so I did that naturally and then and when I did the audition um for the 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 other thing I don't even honestly I don't even hardly remember what I did in the first because there were two auditions in that first audition but the it was uh John Pepsodera cast it but it was his uh,
0: great office
2: great office great guy yeah. great great guy um uh, uh Deanna Bridget Bridget Bridget, Bridget, Bridget it mm-hmm. was the, you know she was the so his associate. And she, um, she's, you know, after the first audition, she said, Look, I'd like you to come back for the producers. And I said, I have a question. Do you want to know these are robots? Or do you want to be able to see that? And she goes, No, absolutely not. Only, only when they're having trouble. Only when they're glitching, do we know that this is not a human. I went, "Oh, Okay, And and I just kind of sitting there, this is the best, this is the best note any casting director has ever given me in 40 years. And I think one of the best I've ever heard of. So I'm going, okay, okay, I got you. And um, she says, you know, when that spinning ball appears on your computer, the little spinning wheel? I went, oh, yeah, I hate that. She goes, that's what's happening to you. And I went, got it. It was just like, that just made so much sense to me. And I came home, I had several days before the, the callback. And so I just like kept thinking, how do I make this different than everybody else? Cause everybody's going to be doing, you know, she said, you know, yeah, I don't like know, kind people, of glitching. Yeah. you know, <laughs> and so I, and I mean, look, I mean, what, you know there's not a whole lot of choices, you know, that, you know, that you can do with your body to show a, a malfunction as if you were a mechanical uh, machine. But I was walking around my apartment, sitting in, the, sitting in that chair right over there, and it hit me that, um, that he is trying to speak, not just the physical thing. And I came up with this <laughs> kind of sound of you know him trying to speak, and for whatever reason, that made everything just kind of come together, mm-hmm. using that sound with the body movements and everything. So I went in to audition and, you know, they, they, they liked it. I, I read for, like I say, a completely different role. And it was weeks, weeks went by five weeks, maybe six. I had forgotten about it, you know, cause that's what we do as actors. You, you read for it. If it doesn't work out, you know, anything, you just forget about it and go on to the next one. And, My manager called me and he's like, he was about another job that I'd read for that I was kind of excited about, you know, and usually I could, but it was like, let me know how this one goes. Let me know the feedback or whatever. So he calls me up. He goes, well, it's not going to go our way, Lou. I'm like, all right, good enough. And he goes, but there's always Westworld. And I went, wait, what? I said, I'm still in the mix for Westworld. And he goes, yep. no you know th- yep that's it and I went okay when they do that I just I'm like okay cool you know yeah just yeah let me know so the next day he called me and uh and told got me the got part. and so you know,
1: did you get a like after it aired did you get a lot of people coming up to you quoting these violent delights your quote <laughs>
2: Well, a lot of people online, they, they didn't really quote me, but a lot of people, a lot of people recognize me, you know, which I've had a very, you know, pretty long career and you get recognized occasionally, but, and usually it's just, Hey, do I know, did we go to school together? Do I, did I, we work? you know, there's always that, but it, it, you know, it was, you know, a lot of people recognize me, you know, which was kind of weird for me because I, I really wasn't used to that. I don't know how these really famous people deal with that. It's bizarre. I find it kind of bizarre. It's flattering and I love it. But And everybody's super nice. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, you forget sometimes that what you do is seen by millions of people. (laughs) Because, Johnny, I've been on a set with you, man. You know, it's, uh, you know, you just sit around waiting to you get your, especially these days, kind of different, isn't it? Tell
1: me about how, it. That how, was, uh,
2: how was working with Johnny?
1: We didn't. We didn't really uh, was, get a. It we didn't rough, get much man. of. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, Madonna. It's like every,
2: Hey, I got I- my
0: lunch, and all of a sudden, my lunch was gone, and I was like, "Where's my lunch?" And then Lou was eating it, and I was
2: like, "What?" <laughs> and Come I on, said, man. "Hey, don't worry about it. I'll get you the crafties right over there." <laughs>
0: <laughs> we didn't. We didn't get to really do much together because you kind of had yeah. a scene with the other dude. Um, sure. But uh, man, it was it was great connecting with you on set because um, yeah. you had a lot of stories, wealth of information, had a got a, a good long career and you know, I was definitely curious to hear more about it. You know what I mean? But uh yeah, you're right. This COVID thing man, it's it's uh you know, it's not doesn't make it as fun as it was
2: before. So you know, that's that's my main complaint is so much of the fun is taken out of it. And, you know, hopefully we'll get through it and get back to some sense of normalcy. Uh but, you know, I uh <clears throat> I mean, you know, you got to do it, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and Lou post Westworld and post true blood and all the other stuff you've done. Are you offer only now when you get asked to do these? Oh, no, no, no.
2: I'm not offer only. I do get offers. Uh, But um, no, I still have to audition for stuff, you know?
1: Um, Outrageous. You You should be offer only. Thank you, brother.
2: (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) Make sure this goes far and wide.
1: <laughs> True Blood is where I remember you from. I mean, your arc on True Blood with the werewolf stuff, that was a great arc. I love that.
2: Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks. That, that was a fun show. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I was hoping that JD would live. But yeah. <laughs> actually, once I had the the brawl with, with uh, Alcide, while we were doing that fight scene, uh, you know, and I got a rock and I'm getting ready to smash his skull and, and, you know, uh, Dale Dickey, God lover, Uh, You know, she, I forget the name, Martha, Marcia, Martha, Martha saved it. Don't do it. Don't do it, JD. And I'm like, anyway, in that, that night I said, this is going to end real bad for JD, you know, because <laughs> you don't beat up the the star, of the show, the manliest guy on TV. You know that guy is six foot five, two. What was he? he was six foot five, like two hundred and twenty-five, two hundred and thirty-five pounds. And when I tell you, you know, solid, solid. Trying to move him in those fight scenes was, it, it was rough. Exciting, yeah. But you know, it was, uh, it was a lot and, of fun. great guy too, by the way.
1: And in our final five seven minutes looking back what's one piece of advice you wish you knew as a younger actor that you know now
2: i got no problem that's a piece of advice that comes to me like that if you are a young actor or starting out and you feel at any point that your manager and your agent and or your agent are not doing enough for you they aren't you're right and you should move on. Um, That is one of my biggest, it's not really a regret, but it's certainly something that I would do differently because I think that the security of having representation is so precious that even when it's not working, actors don't wanna give it up. And they might even return your calls, take your calls, Maybe even take you to lunch every now and then. But if they're not doing enough for your business, it's a business. So you, you need to find somebody who can. Having the right represent, representation changes everything. Because so many uh, incredibly gifted actors out there never get a chance. And that's all they need. But if they don't have the the representation that's going to get them in the room, they're they're it's going to be really hard to get that chance. And um, I'd also say that you get out of this business what you put into it. The more you put into it, the more you're likely to get out of it uh, or get back. Um, and yeah, and just you know, I mean, for me, there you know, it it, it it's also I think. I think the, the business, you know, chooses you as opposed to you choosing it. Those that, that can't give it up, that, that will never surrender. And I was one of those people. And I always thought, even though I had a nice career and I was doing well, making a really nice living. And I knew that one day somebody was going to give me a role that would change everything. I knew it. And Westworld was that role. And literally, things changed overnight. And the the thing about it is that we shot that in September of 2014. It didn't air till October of 2016. A long long so, period, yeah, two years. Two years. And I was telling my manager, I'm like, man, you know, this, is it gonna come out? <laughs> this is gonna, No, I knew it was gonna come out, but it okay. was like, I was like, I think this is gonna change things. I think this is mm. gonna. Change. Well, we you know we we hope so. Wait and see. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's gonna change things, but.
0: And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, how how has the career really evolved since then? I mean, I know you said you get offer some offers now and stuff like that. Are you getting, do you find yourself getting even bigger auditions for?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it puts okay. you in a different, it puts you in, it, it, you know, puts you in a different category. It's it's like anything in this business. It's kind of like, where have you been all these years Uh mm. right under your nose? <laughs> But yeah. that's, that's the way it's always been. So, you know, you, it, it it's, you know, the catch 22s in this business, you know, most of it is, and you know, you got to do something big to get noticed. And how do you get noticed? You know, without getting, you know, how do you get the job without people knowing where you are and giving right. you a chance and everything? Um, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's changed. It's changed in a way that I do get offers. Uh, I get to read for series regulars. A lot more. I've done other series series regulars since. Um, And, you know, the beauty about a show like Westworld is everybody saw it. Everybody in the industry saw it. So it's I I say everybody I mean, for the most part, you know, and and especially a lot of people that can hire you (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah. And so, yeah. That's, it's it's changed in that regard.
0: Last thing I just want to ask real fast um, as we wrap up. Um, obviously, lots of work, uh, projects that you've worked on. What are you most proud of?
2: Of the things mm-hmm. you've done? Uh, well, God. Put you on the spot. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very proud of everything that I did in Westworld because it was quite the challenge and uh and because i think i did some of my best work um but not just like the thing with anthony um but like the work with with uh, evan evan rachel wood yeah. i mean there's a scene in season two where she finds me in, at the fort you know all freaking out and everything yeah and that scene that we have there is one of my favorite scenes of my entire career. Mm-hmm. It just breaks my heart every time. And I have a 16 year old daughter, so I'm, you know, I can relate to having a daughter and being, you know, her being your, your world uh, that, you know, I, God just that I can't quite answer that completely. I mean, they're, yeah. they're so they're just. that's all right.
0: Of- that's an answer yeah. right there. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Well, I uh, appreciate the time, uh, Lou. And uh, where can our audience, audience find you? And do you have any projects that you're working on coming up that they can see you in?
2: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I got... All Rise. All Rise. And Indeed. I guess uh, there's... Uh, I think you're in... I think you're in the one next week. We're in the one next week. Is it next, airing next
0: week? Uh, I, I think okay. it's next Monday. Okay.
2: I'll be in the one after that. And then I've got one more to shoot. Um, I just yesterday did uh, a new Gene Smart uh, project that doesn't have a name yet.
1: Well, Aaron and I have auditioned for that several times. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it looks funny. It's like dark comedy, right? Uh,
2: Which one? Yeah, there's some darkness in it for sure. I mean, Hacks. hmm, Hacks. Yeah, that's the working title. And um, I don't know if that's going to be the title. It might be. But anyway, I just worked on that. I play um, uh, Hannah's dad and uh and then there's something that i can't talk about yet that's uh pretty big and very exciting but uh you know
1: westworld (laughs) spinoff there you go oh oh. hey that would be nice that's cool it's cool you got big things coming up you'll Uh have to
0: cut you have to come back and tell us when you can share sure i'd be happy to that'd be awesome um Anytime. thank you man i appreciate appreciate the time lou um are you on any social media platforms oh yeah like well that, i mean if you want to follow
2: uh, yeah instagram lewis underscore Hertham. some numbskulls got my name lewis Hertham, and yeah. i can't get them to give, <laughs> give it, it back to me yeah uh, had it before me same thing on twitter somebody bought my name or whatever you do and Twitter, I mean, I, I, I have an account. Same thing, Lewis underscore Hertham. And then I'm on Facebook. I had a fan a fan page and verified page and it disappeared. Somebody hacked it. And I Jeez. mean, it's, yeah. so I'm on social media. I'm not that hard <laughs> to find. Uh, yeah. But, you know, don't don't be offended if I don't respond right away.
0: <laughs> so send Lewis as many DMs as possible. There you go. flood <laughs> my inbox. Sliding in, man uh no man it was it was a true true pleasure working with you uh thank you for taking the time uh to to join us on the podcast and uh, it was a lot of fun man thanks
2: my pleasure buddy anytime it's good good to meet you guys and good to see you again johnny
0: yeah good to see you too man